So last week we unveiled our new vision and direction, and the purpose of having vision and direction is to help us focus on what we believe in, to give us something to rally around, to work towards. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples into the world in the power of the Spirit, and he basically told them, go change the world, and they did. The world has never been the same. And they went into the world in the power of the Spirit with two central convictions. One is that the gospel is real, and two, the gospel changes everything. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. And for the early church, that wasn't just a nice story. It wasn't a mystical philosophy. It was something that actually happened. Um, and Jesus dying for our sins, and Jesus rising from the grave, that gospel, that good news, has the power to change you and me. It has the power to change TFRC. It has the power to change the Magic Valley. It has the power to change the world. The gospel, it changes everything. So the gospel is real. The gospel changes everything, and the danger for us as a church is to assume that we'll just always believe that and that we all believe that. But we can't assume that. We must hold firmly to these convictions. We must rally around these convictions. It must be the driving factor behind everything we do. And every time we gather, we must be re reminded that the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything. So we put it on the wall so you can see it every time you walk into this room. And I would encourage you that every time you come into this room to worship on Sunday, that again, after a while, that could become invisible to you. Don't let it become invisible to you. Because the more that we remind ourselves that the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything, the giddier we should become. It should never grow old. It should always inspire us each and every day, each and every week. And the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything. It should practically impact who we are. That because it's real, because it changes everything, um, there are eight directives that we're going to live by. Now, directives, they sound a little bit like values, but the difference is that a directive leads us to do something. It actually directs. It's in the word, okay? Um, directives are more measurable. We should be able to see if we are doing them. And we're going to talk about these eight directives, one each week for the next eight weeks. And they are biblical obedience, spirit-led, safe haven, meeting Jesus, transformed lives, missional impact, future-focused, ever-expanding, and we have to remember, as we unpack each of these over the next eight weeks, that these eight directives, we do them, we live by them, because of what is central to our faith. The gospel is real. It changes everything. So the first directive is biblical obedience. And biblical obedience is simply Scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live. Primary meaning 
It's not the only lens. There are other reasons that will um, lead you to do some of the things that you do. But a primary lens, the final lens, the ultimate lens, means that everything else will have to measure up to Scripture. And if Scripture says something else, we do what Scripture says. Now, since we're talking about Scripture, let's start with Scripture. The passage this morning is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you have your phones, you can open it up or just Google that on your phones. Uh, if you are looking it up in your Bibles, Matthew is the first um, book in the New Testament. Uh, and this story that we're about to read occurs right after the baptism of Jesus. So it's right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Glenda McLaughlin. Glenda, if you can make your way on up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room again because scripture should be primary to us, and we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, Glenda, whenever you're ready, please read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Glenda, thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to ask all of you to discuss a question, and this question is one that I probably shouldn't ask in church on Sunday morning, not because it's inappropriate, but because after you talk about it, it's the only thing you're going to think about for the rest of the morning. So I'm not sure this is a great idea, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So you can talk with this to the people around you. If you are here with your household or friends, this would be a great question for you to discuss, okay? But... With the people around you, I want you to talk about what are your lunch plans for today, okay? Now, if you don't have any, now is a great time to start talking about it, okay? So just take a moment and share or debate what are your lunch plans for today? Okay, now I realize that now that you've talked about this, you are probably hungry, and it's all you're going to think about the rest of the morning, all right? If you didn't eat this morning, if you didn't have breakfast or haven't eaten at all, now you might be really hungry and you might be tempted to think, wow, I wonder if this is what Jesus felt like. Um, Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. You're going to eat in the next 40 minutes. You're going to be fine, okay? Um, Jesus points out that in order to live, we need more than food. We need more than bread. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, when you eat lunch later today, your hunger will be satisfied. We all know what that experience is like. Um, what does it mean when Jesus says we need the word of God to live? Because surely if we never read the Bible or never get exposed to the word of God, we're not going to die like we would if we never ate. That's not going to happen. Um, so how does the word of God give life? Because what Jesus says here, when he says, uh, we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God, it's not just a passing, sometimes I, when I read that passage, I read it as a passing part of the greater temptation story in the wilderness. But that statement that Jesus makes 
is fundamental to understanding our faith and who Jesus is. It's a big, big deal. Jesus says we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God, and the Bible says that Jesus is, is the word of God. The good news, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. But you see, Jesus was more than a good teacher, more than a prophet. Jesus is the word of God. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll also jump to verse 14. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of God existed from the very beginning, and it was the word that created and commanded and guided. It was the word that the Israelites were called to follow, and the word of God became flesh became human, and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the living, breathing, walking word of God. And Jesus once said that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And part of what that means to fulfill the law is to interpret it correctly, to demonstrate, to show what the law is all about. And Jesus was the Word in the flesh. He lived out what the law um, was meant to be lived out. Now, we all know people who are really gifted at what they do. They almost personify their profession or what it should be all about. Uh, you see this in sports. Um, in football, it's Tom Brady. In basketball, it's LeBron James. In baseball, it's Shohei Otani. In tennis, it's Serena Williams. In gymnastics, it's Simone Biles. Um, all of us have had teachers who seem to be born to teach. Um, we've all encountered doctors or construction workers or waiters or waitresses or whatever walk of life, whatever profession of life, and these people seem perfectly suited to do what it is they're doing. It's like they were born to do what they do. Well, Jesus wasn't born to live out the Word of God. Jesus was the Word of God. And if we follow Jesus, we are following the Word made flesh, the Word in the flesh. And if we're gonna follow the Word in the flesh, then the Word in the book needs to be the primary lens we use to determine how we live. So Jesus is the Word, and life, life comes from the Word. Rereading verse 4 in the passage where he simply says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is a difference between existing and living, between surviving and thriving. You know, we can eat and sleep and drink and exercise, all that stuff, and do all the things we need to do to stay alive and healthy and still not be living. You know, just because we survive doesn't mean we're really alive. 
Um, Jesus says, if you really want to live, uh, you need more than bread. <laughs> we need more than just to keep our bodies going in order to really be alive. Um, you need the Word of God, Jesus says. You don't need it to stay alive, but you need it to actually live life as it was meant to be lived. As Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. How full, how abundant is the life you're living right now? Are you thriving or surviving? Because we need the Word of God to really be alive. And it has been this way from the beginning. We, have need, we need the Word of God to truly be alive. That has been the truth from the beginning. Many of you know the story of Adam and Eve and how they're in the Garden of Eden and how they eat fruit from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. And then they get um, kicked out of the garden. Now, there is something fundamental in that story that reflects what Jesus means when he says, you need the Word of God to live. Uh, Genesis 2, I'm just going to quickly go through the Genesis 2 story. Uh, talks about God planting the garden, verses 8 and 9. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in the garden, all kinds of trees, good for food, pleasing to the eye, and then two trees are specifically named. The tree of life, which is the good tree, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which for those of you who know the story, that's the bad tree. And so God puts Adam in the garden and gives these instructions, jumping down to verse 16 of Genesis 2. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, whenever I teach on Genesis, I love to point something out about this passage. You notice that God only tells Adam about one tree. Now, think about it. If you're working with your kids or something, and there are two trees, and there's a good tree and a bad tree. Which tree do you tell your kids about? Well, you tell them about the good tree. You don't tell them about the bad tree. What's wrong with you? Okay, what does God do? He tells Adam about the bad tree. He never even tells them about the tree of life. That's the good tree. How is Adam supposed to eat from the tree of life if he doesn't even know about it. Because it's safe to assume that because of its name, the tree of life gives life, okay? Realize it's a little speculation, but I think we're on safe ground there. How is Adam going to find life? Well, remember the commands? Remember the word of God? The first command is eat from any tree. That's actually a command. Eat from the trees. Eat. Oh, command number two, don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But from all the other trees, have at it. Those are the words of God. Now, if Adam follows the word of God and eats from any tree in the garden and doesn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
what tree will he eventually eat from? The tree of life. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. He doesn't need to know about the tree of life in order to eat from it. All he has to know is God's word. That's all he needs. And if he follows God's word, he will find life. God's word has always led to life. In Deuteronomy, God tells the Israelites before they enter the promised land, this is Deuteronomy 30, you see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Life, prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, decrees and laws, and then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. See, God sets before them life and death. Keep the word of God, love God, keep his commands, his decrees, his laws, and you will live and increase. If they follow God's word, they will find life. God's word has always led to life, always. Um, just an example, hopefully this will resonate with many of you. Um, one of the God's commands is actually one of the Ten Commandments that many of you know. Um, one of them is do not covet. Actually, that command specifically says, do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servant, your neighbor's ox, your neighbor's donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Well, how does not coveting lead to life? Or how does coveting lead to death? Well, something you need to understand about coveting is coveting is not your neighbor getting a new car, so you want to get a new car. That's, that's not coveting. Um, coveting is wanting the car your neighbor has. That specific car. So if your neighbor gets a BMW, you don't want to get another BMW. You want that BMW. That's what coveting is. So if you covet your neighbor's spouse and your neighbor's house, and your neighbor's car, and your neighbor's job, and your neighbor's boat, and everything else your neighbor has, what is it you really want? You want to be your neighbor because your neighbor's life is so much better than your life. And if you think your neighbor's life is so much better than your life, that means you don't like your life. That's what it means. You are unhappy with the life you have been given. And so you wish, you desire that you wish you could have someone else's life. Now look, it's one thing to want to be the best you that you can be. That's actually a good thing. It's another thing to want to be someone else because their life is so much better than yours. Look, if you are so unhappy with what God has given you, and you're so unhappy that you would rather not have the life you have, that you'd rather be someone else and have their life, you are in for a world of misery. You will have no joy whatsoever. Your life is going to be one miserable day after another. Be the best you you can be. That's great. But don't try to be someone else. Don't covet. You're never going to find life that way. Find life by striving to be who God made you to be, who God, the life God gave you. 
And stop fretting over what you don't have and trying to be like someone else. You'll never find life that way. Jesus is the living, breathing, walking, talking word of God. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Where will we find life? By following Jesus. And following Jesus, following God's word, has always led to life. As the apostle Peter said to Jesus one time, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. And if following the living word gives life, well, then Scripture needs to be the primary lens we use to determine how we live. Jesus is the Word. Life comes from the Word, and so we listen to the Word. Remember, in the passage that we just read, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. He was hungry. He's tempted. And he has every reason to turn those stones into bread. But he says, you don't live on bread alone. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. The only reason he doesn't turn stones to bread is because of God's word. That's it. Later in his ministry, in Luke chapter 11, it records this account. Jesus was saying these things, and a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Listening doesn't mean hearing, it means doing. And there will be times in our lives that the primary reason we do something is simply because we are trusting God's word. And trusting simply means doing what it says. And that is, more times than not, easier said than done. In Mark 8, Jesus said to the crowd around him, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. If we want to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross. That doesn't sound like fun. If we want to, follow, if we want to save our life, we must lose it. That doesn't sound like fun. If we lose our life, we will save it. I'm not, isn't there another way? <laughs> Following the word of God is a struggle between our desires and what God's Word says. Because it's really rare that what God's Word says matches up exactly with what we want. Sometimes. There are things in following Jesus that flat out we don't want to do. We just don't want to do it. But if we deny ourselves and follow Jesus, it always leads to life. And if we don't deny ourselves, it will eventually lead to death. And the truth, this truth of denying ourselves to find life, you should be able to relate to this because it's everywhere. It is universal. It is true for every aspect of life. Parents, if you do not deny yourself to take care of your kids, like when they're infants and it's the middle of the night and they're crying because they're hungry and you don't want to feed them because you haven't slept for three days, but you get up and you feed them anyway. Why? You're denying yourself. And if you only fed your kids when you felt like it, well, your kids are eventually going to be malnourished. Um, they may even die. But when we deny ourselves to take care of our children, it leads to life, literally. Uh, farmers, uh, you don't always feel like tending to your land or to your animals. 
Uh, you get tired. Uh, you need to rest. But sometimes the land and animals needs you to take care of them or it, no matter how tired you might be. And you must deny yourself the rest you need in order to tend to your land or tend to your animals. And if you don't deny yourself, though that land and animals, they'll die. Uh, students don't always feel like studying. But if students only study when they feel like it, it's going to kill their grades, <laughs> right? Their grades will literally die. <laughs> they must deny themselves and study when needed, not just when they feel like it. And if you do, it leads to life. Following Jesus will require us to deny some of the things we want to do, or even sometimes some things we need to do. We need to deny ourselves. And every time we deny ourselves and follow Jesus, it leads to life. Every time without fail. But if we do what our bodies desire, whenever they desire them, it will eventually lead to death. It always does. The gospel is real. The gospel changes everything. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And when Jesus died for our sins, did he want to go to the cross? Many of you know the answer to that question. The answer is no. He didn't want to go to the cross. When Jesus prayed, he said, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. But Jesus denied himself, and he said, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus denied himself, he went to the cross, he suffered, he died, and then what happened? He rose from the dead because life is what happens every time you deny yourself without fail. The resurrection was almost inevitable because Jesus denied himself. And that's what happens when you deny yourself and follow the word of God. Life comes every time without fail. And that's literally what Jesus did. And he said, you don't live on just bread but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because the gospel is real and because it changes everything, scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live. It gives life. What area in your life do you need to listen to the word of God? There's a good chance you don't want to, but what is the area in your life that you need to? Imagine, imagine TFRC becoming a place where Scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live. Think about that. Can you picture it? What impact could that make on you? What impact could that make on the Magic Valley? How much life if Scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live, how much life could you find? Experience. And how much life could we bring to the Magic Valley? Please pray with me. And Lord, earlier during our service, as we were praising you, the rain came down and and Lord, we've been in a drought, and the rain just reminded me of your life. 
of the life you give. And Lord, I would ask that your spirit would work in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, help us with the struggle between our desires and your word. And Lord, help us to follow Jesus, our living word, and use scripture as our primary lens to do that so that we can experience the life you came to give us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.